Hey everyone, this is Father Conrad, and just before the podcast, we have some exciting news. Catholic Cast Media, which is the organization that runs and supports this podcast, is launching a new initiative called Bible Link. It's born from a need to connect in a world that is so disconnected, in a particular way to help people who need it to find a Bible study. If your parish doesn't offer a Bible study or your schedule doesn't allow you to go in person, we've got you covered. And we're going to be launching this over the coming months. And to start out, we've launched a GoFundMe page to make this happen. You can check it out at GoFundMe.com slash Bible dash link. And stay tuned. We'll have more episodes and things to kind of get uh, get you excited about this exciting initiative. God bless. Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 179, Alexander IV. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Bobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Hey everyone, today's Pope was born Rinaldo Conti, and if that name sounds familiar, you should recognize it. It's the famous Conti family. He was born in the town of Gene, just south of Rome, around 1199. And as I mentioned, his family is fairly famous in our circles, at least. It included Pope Innocent III, and it included Ronaldo's uncle, or well, it's probably his uncle, we're not 100% sure, Cardinal Ugolino, the future Pope Gregory IX. He grew up in Agnani, which is the family seat of the Conti family, and he entered the clergy there and served for many years as the canon of the cathedral. After joining Cardinal Ugolino's household, the uncle's election to the papacy really increased Rinaldo's status as well. He was named the Cardinal Deacon of San Eustachio in 1227 and the treasurer of the Roman Church. And in 1235, he was appointed the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia. Now, Horace Mann has this really awesome story about Cardinal Rinaldo's early friendship with St. Clair of Assisi. He was particularly close with her and a big fan. And the story comes from the biographer of St. Clair, Thomas Solano. When St. Clair was dying, Cardinal Rinaldo heard about it and he rushed to Perugia to be with Clair and give her last rites. The biographer relates, Clair with tears besought so great a father that for the name of Christ, he would be ever mindful of her soul and the souls of the other ladies. But above all else, she begged that he would ask the Lord Pope and the Cardinals to confirm the privilege of poverty. When St. Clair died, Pope Innocent IV was present with all the cardinals and apparently wanted the funeral rites to not be the office of the dead and the mass for the dead, which is what a normal funeral would be, but the office of virgins, meaning that she was already a saint and didn't really need their prayers. But Cardinal Ronaldo actually convinced him to reconsider that he still wanted to pray for his friend. And Pope Innocent, turns out, wouldn't be the one who would canonize her. Cardinal Ronaldo preached her funeral mass and he was a great supporter and friend of the Franciscans, and he had a nephew who was a friar and a sister who was a poor Clare. One of his chroniclers tells us uh, that he really imitated the virtues of the Franciscans, though he wasn't one himself. He was pious, he was merciful, he loved peace and poverty. As a cardinal, he was sent on various embassies, but he doesn't seem to have had much influence under the pontificate of Pope Innocent IV. When Pope Innocent left Rome for Lyon, he left Cardinal Ronaldo behind with three other cardinals to help govern Rome in his absence, and that wasn't a huge vote of confidence. Ronaldo was with Pope Innocent, however, when he died in Naples in December of 1254, and he gave him the last rites of the church. Now, if you remember from last time, the papal army had just lost a battle against Manfred, the ruler of Sicily, and things were looking bad for papal power and authority in southern Italy. 
This made the cardinals particularly nervous. They were thinking about running away when the governor of Naples actually locked them in the house they were staying at in Naples until they elected a new pope. On December 12th, the cardinals selected Rinaldo, who took the name Alexander IV. Now, it's probable that the reason Rinaldo was selected was that as a protege of Gregory IX and of a more mild disposition, he might be able to reconcile the fighting factions in Sicily and Italy as a whole and bring some peace to the church. But immediately after his election, he declared a continuation, at least at this time, of the papal policy in Sicily. And that policy was that Manfred was illegitimate and that the church would protect the heir to the crown of Sicily, Conradine. Now, that all might have just washed over you because it's tough to remember how all these things went. This conflict is deep and it's been swirling around for a while and there's a lot of names and factions and things like that and and it's way long time ago so i thought what we would do is just step back to understand what's happening in italy a little bit more clearly for with a little recap so the papacy has been in conflict with the hohenstaufen family which was manifested particularly in the conflict with the holy roman emperors frederick the first a longer time ago many episodes ago and more recently frederick the second Now, this prompted a certain split in Italy itself between supporters of the emperor, called the Ghibellines, and supporters of the popes, called the Guelphs. Now, the biggest change in recent times came with Frederick II, who was not only particularly amoral and antagonistic to the church, but he also united personally the territory of the Holy Roman Empire in the north of Italy and Germany with the crown of Sicily, which included the island of Sicily and a lot of territory in the southern part of the peninsula. Now, if you remember from way back in the day, the popes, when they are attacked by the Holy Roman Emperor, will usually turn to the Sicilians to counterbalance, and vice versa. And being surrounded on both sides was a huge issue, especially if the emperor really isn't a fan of the papacy. And if the emperor, like Henry VI and Frederick II, want to rule the entire Italian peninsula, then forget about it. With the death of Frederick II, his son, Conrad IV, inherited the kingdom of Sicily. But since in the Holy Roman Empire and Germany, the crown was given by the nobles and not necessarily passed down through inheritance, he didn't inherit that title. But he died early, leaving his son, Conradine, nominally as his heir. But in reality, the strings were being pulled by his older illegitimate brother, Manfred, who really wanted to take control for himself. Conradine was placed in the care of the papacy by his father, And Manfred decided that with that the case and with Conradine so young, he was going to rule Sicily. Now, Sicily was technically four years under the feudal jurisdiction of the papacy, and the Pope, Innocent IV, if you remember from last week, did not want Manfred to be in charge. So he solicited other rulers to take over Sicily. He asked around Europe. And by this point, the papacy had offered Italy to Edmund, the Prince of England, but he wasn't taking it. It's a nice enough offer, but it's hard to implement in practice, especially if Manfred has just won a battle against the papal armies. There's not really anything Pope Alexander could do to stop him. Plus, he had his own issues at home. When he returned to Rome, the Roman people rebelled against him and drove him out of the city. In 1258, Manfred spread the rumor around that Conradine, his nephew, was dead. Spoiler alert, he wasn't, but sounded like it at the time, and so he got himself crowned to be the king of Sicily. And he began to make alliances with other Ghibelline cities in northern Italy. And on September 4th, 1260, he successfully defeated the Guelph city of Florence, which was a major defeat for the pro-papal side, and north of Rome, surrounding Rome again. The defeat and slaughter of so many Italians gave rise to a new movement in the church, which we're going to hear about in the future down the road, and that's the movement of the flagellants. They were men and women who were appalled by the lack of morality in the age and were seeing the 
crimes and the difficulties of the time period as punishment for that lack of morality. And so they decided to do penance for it by walking around and whipping themselves in various ways. We aren't sure how the Pope reacted to this new movement, but Manfred was not a huge fan and forced them out of Ghibelline territory. Alexander excommunicated Manfred again for his actions in Florence, but there wasn't much he could do. And he was a naturally peaceful and unassuming character, which was really ill-suited to the complex and difficult political situation he found himself in. So enough diplomacy, let's turn to more uplifting things, which is Alexander's love for the friars. Alexander as Pope got to do something I'm sure few people have ever gotten to do. He canonized his dear friend St. Clair of Assisi. He also helped guide the Franciscans to the election of their new superior, St. Bonaventure, and we will definitely hear that name again in the future. He likewise supported the Franciscans and the Dominicans when they clashed with local clergy. The more established clergy all over the world did not, it turns out, like these energetic new friars coming in and taking their turf and attracting people away from their parishes. They were just too popular. And in a particular way, there was a conflict at the University of Paris, the premier theological university at the time. Friars were taking over more and more teaching positions there, and it was not appreciated by the secular clergy. One priest in particular, William of St. Amour, wrote to Pope Innocent IV right before his death to complain about the situation. And Innocent responded by limiting how many chairs in the theology faculty the friars could have in Paris. But as soon as Alexander IV became Pope, he rescinded this restriction of Pope Innocent's. William was, of course, not happy. He wrote a long treatise against the friars in 1256, but his work was challenged both by Pope Alexander and by the friars in regards to its orthodoxy. Now, in particular, two Dominican friars, St. Albert the Great of Cologne and the young friar, St. Thomas of Aquino, responded arguing of the virtue of, and the value of religious priests teaching in Paris. Now, I'm, of course, overjoyed to finally get to introduce into this story the great St. Thomas Aquinas, but we will have to save a full introduction uh, for a later episode. Alexander IV sided with the friars, and they were allowed to continue teaching at Paris. Alexander also had a cool moment with the separated churches in the East. While his work to bring reconciliation with the Orthodox in the Byzantine world didn't really bear fruit, he did confirm the Maronites of Lebanon as fully part of the Catholic Church and gave them a patriarch to be their spiritual leader. And this is about all we can say. Alexander IV died on May 25th, 1261 at Viterbo, just outside Rome. He was buried at the Cathedral of St. Lawrence there in Viterbo, and he was succeeded by Pope Urban IV, and we will talk about him and the great St. Thomas Aquinas next time. Thanks for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.